you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining me now for the very latest on COVID-19, gentleman who's been with us for two years on a weekly basis from UC Davis, Chief of Pediatric Infectious Disease, Dr. Dean Blumberg. Dr. Blumberg, welcome back. Very good Monday to you. Thanks, Larry. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, First big indoor event uh, that we've done in KPCC in two years was our event at the Theater at Ace Hotel on Broadway in downtown L.A. yesterday. And hundreds of people there, everybody wearing their mask during the course of the event, of course, except for us that were on stage. And um, just so wonderful to be with people again indoors at a big event like that. Yeah, you know, every time I do something that we used to do before, before the pandemic, it feels great, but it also feels a little bit weird sometimes yeah. because right now we're in the office at work. We're not wearing masks um, anymore. I'm still in the hospital. We are, but not in the office. And it seems weird to see everybody's face after two years. I, I missed everybody's face. It's nice to be <laughs> our I haven't seen our critics in person in two years. And then for us to be un, unmasked on stage and see people's laugh, not just hear it. And um, it was wonderful. It was it, it was really great. Well, let's talk about where we stand, because, of course, what enables us to do events like that is that we see uh, continuing good news on hospitalizations from COVID-19. Right. Um, you know, hospitalizations are way down. The case rate is way down. Um, you know, right now there's only one pediatric patient admitted to the hospital with COVID um, at UC Davis Medical Center. Yeah, so it really is great. Um, you know, but then, you know, at the top of the hour news summary, we heard the concerns, um, you know, the increasing detections in wastewater and the cases tend to rise um, a week or two after the wastewater detections. And then we have seen the um, pandemic, really the surges go from the east to the west. So when we do see surges in Europe and the UK, um, they do end up here um, a a few weeks later. So those are are, are areas of concern. I wondered, though, because so many people here had Omicron, whether they got sick with it or were asymptomatic. I wonder, is that going to help ward off BA2 from gaining a strong foothold in California? Yeah, I think that'll provide some partial immunity, at least. The question I have is how long they're going to have the immunity for. So if it's three or four months that that partial immunity lasts, then that takes us through to late April or May when we might see another, another, another surge, even from people who've been infected or have been immunized. 
And, you know, if that happens, if we start seeing a surge, and maybe not as big as Omicron, because there's still enough people with, with a continued immunity or their vaccination has provided protection, is there a chance, you think, that we would need to reenact some of the, re-implement some of the restrictions that we had? Yeah, it's it's possible we may get to that place, but I'm hopeful that with at least partial immunity for the vast majority of people now, that if there are increased number of breakthrough infections or repeat infections, that they're going to be relatively mild, that they're going to be annoying, that you'll stay home for a few days, but that they won't result in increased hospital admissions or, or death. Do you know what South Africa is seeing? Because I was wondering, you know, they had so many cases of Omicron in South Africa, and I was wondering, and they got it before we did here, if if they've been able to hold off BA2 or if, if uh, it's infecting people in large numbers there. You know, in South Africa now, more than 90% of the circulating strains are BA2, and so they have a large proportion um, in South Africa. All right. We're talking with Dr. Dean Blumberg, UC Davis Children's Hospital. Particularly good time as a parent to ask your questions of Dr. Blumberg. We're at 866-893-KPCC, 866-893-5722, or email your question to atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your first name and your location with your emailed question. Similarly, if you're tweeting your question to Talk, please include your location along with your Twitter handle. We appreciate that, that very much. Um, uh, how far behind would you say we are typically uh, from the U.K. when it comes to you know, getting something that has um, arisen there? Is it weeks, months? What's the usual timeline? It's usually a few weeks. Usually uh, the surges will occur there and then they'll be on the east coast of the U.S. and then gradually go from east to west. So, yeah, that timeline is generally a few weeks. So we would get a bit of a heads up, you figure, from the eastern seaboard uh, of, of, you know, it being more imminent here? Yeah, and you know the the issue is on the east coast. The the population density is so um, high that if we do get a surge, that it'll really be amplified um, in those population centers, and we'll hear about it first before we we see it in California. All right, eight six six eight nine three KPCC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpcc dot org. So what's going to happen with booster shots in the future? Because it seems, Dr. Blumberg, there are a lot of moving parts to this. Companies working on, um, you know, specific shots that would cover uh, Omicron or maybe even BA2. And, um, you, you know, we we get kind of conflicting test uh, or, you know, study results coming out of Israel, things like that, as to how the boosters affect older versus younger people. What do you think the FDA is going to be looking at here before it issues updated guidance on additional boosters? Yeah, we've got a lot of questions about that. I mean, the issues with the boosters is, as you mentioned, the Israeli experience by giving that fourth dose to a large portion of the population found very modest increases in antibody levels and very modest um, increase in protection um, also um, in terms uh, after getting those boosters. 
Um, the most important thing with the boosters is the need for boosters is if we do see a decreased rate of immunity that results in serious infection resulting in hospitalization um, or death. And what we saw during Omicron, the CDC had a study just released last week that showed that although there, there were increased breakthrough infections that were mild, um, vaccination still had 90% protection against hospitalization and against being needed, needing to be in the um, ICU and being on a ventilator. So they still provide excellent protection. That's the thing we need to see. If that protection fades, that's when we're going to need a booster. And so I'm not exactly sure when that is. But what I am pretty certain is that we're going to have to modify our definitions of the primary series, the initial series. I think it's going to be a three-dose series. It just makes more sense to have the first two doses and probably separated by longer than three to four weeks, mm -hmm. um, and then another third dose later. That'll be our primary series, and then we'll get some sort of booster recommendation, whether that's every year or two years. I don't know that anybody wants to be boosted like every four months or something. That's just not not feasible. Our uh, our engineer Evelyn asks a question, which is, I think, a really good one. If I got vaccinated in April and have not yet been boosted, would it make more sense to get a booster shot or to be revaccinated? Yeah, so the immune, your immune system will remember um, your previous, um, your previous immunizations, your previous vaccinations. So even having a very large interval between shots, that actually results in a better immune response compared to a shorter interval. So you never have to restart the vaccine series. And I don't anticipate we'll have recommendations for that related to COVID. All right. Very good. Uh, Maureen in Redonda Beach says, I've had three full Moderna shots, my last one in September. Should I be concerned with the length that I've gone without a vaccination at this point? I'm 80 years old. Yeah, and so we haven't seen the age-related booster recommendations from the CDC yet. Um, the only recommendation for that fourth dose has been in those who are immunocompromised. And I guess we need to see the data, first of all, for people who don't have comorbidities who are older. Is there an increased rate of hospitalization after that third dose? Does that fade over time? Eventually, I anticipate it will, but I haven't seen any data to that effect yet. When we see that data, that's when we're going to get those recommendations for that fourth dose. And uh, just to clarify, the recommendation for fourth dose, is that just for immunocompromised people who aren't getting uh, a robust response to previous vaccinations, or does it also include people with comorbidities who might have type 2 diabetes or other significant risk factors? Yeah, it does include, um, it includes people with comorbidities, and it also includes people um, who have um, weakened immune systems. Um, and then I would also encourage anybody who feels that they might not have a good response to vaccination, you know, contact your healthcare provider because getting the um, uh, the long asking, long asking um, acting antibody cocktail, the tixagivimab or silgavimab, um, the Evusheld, um, that that seems to be highly effective even in the wake of Omicron. All right. 866-893-KPCC. Dr. Dean Blumberg, UC Davis Children's Hospital with us. Isabella in Woodland Hill says, I've heard that the uh, new subvariant is more contagious than Omicron was. And she wonders if we see a spike in that here, might that even endanger outdoor dining? 
Yeah, I don't anticipate that it would um, cause a change for outdoor activities, even even dining. It is about 80% more transmissible compared to the original Omicron strain, but the vast majority of transmission, the studies are showing that this is taking place indoors and that outdoors, even when people are relatively close to each other and unmasked, there's a much decreased risk of transmission due to the large volume of air really just, just diluting the virus. 866-893-KPCC or email us your question at atcomments at kpcc.org. Uh, I was looking at an article that was um, just uh, asking the question, could it be that there was a you know weekend of BAFTA events, uh, the British Film Academy, um, that has afterwards seen a spike in cases of COVID-19 among people in the entertainment industry. Um, but, you know, this is something the Hollywood Reporter is 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 reporting on. But um, your thoughts, you know, as we approach the Oscars that are coming up uh, Sunday in Hollywood and some of these other, uh, other entertainment events, is there enough COVID out there right now for this to be of serious concern, these indoor events? You know, I think any of these events may contribute to an increased number of cases. But in the UK, for example, there was an in- increasing number of cases before the um, BAFTA ceremony. So I think I think they they can certainly can and something to be aware of. And anybody who's concerned and might be at risk for more severe disease, you know, if you if you do attend those events, wear your mask as much as possible. All right. Uh, 866-893-KPECC or email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Whenever you're on with us, Dr. Blumberg, you know, one of the questions that parents of the youngest kids have is when are, you know, the little ones going to have access to a vaccine? Where do we stand with that? Yeah, well, we're, we're still waiting. Um, the uh, Moderna um, says that they will release um, data. They will have data, data ready to present um, sometime towards the end of this month. And so there's not that much time left, but we hope to hear from Moderna soon for the two to five-year-olds. Pfizer says they're going to have their data prepared and ready to release in April. Um, for six months to four years of age. Um, So hopefully if the data looks good, if the vaccines are safe and effective, um, then they'll be presented to the FDA. And then after that, we'll look for recommendations from the CDC. So that may be as soon as April or May that, that we get availability. All right. Also wanted to mention to you uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He remains hospitalized in Washington. He was diagnosed with an infection, but the Supreme Court clarified today he does not have COVID-19. The justice is 73 years old. He entered the hospital Friday after experiencing flu-like symptoms and underwent tests. The court said Thomas was diagnosed with an infection and is being treated with intravenous antibiotics. The court says... At this time, his symptoms are abating, uh, but he didn't say whether Thomas had tested negative for COVID-19. But, of course, it's a reminder that there are all kinds of other uh, infections one can get that can hospitalize a person. You know, COVID takes up so much uh, headspace for us right now, it's, it's, you know, easy to forget there are other risks out there, Dr. Blumberg. Right. And so there's influenza that is still circulating. um, And then there's bacterial infections such as the pneumococcal 
disease um, where the pneumococcal the pneumonia shot is recommended for those over 65. So yeah, there's many different infections that at 73, there's increased risk of um, uh, several respiratory infections. So he is fully vaccinated and boosted. All nine of the high court justices uh, have been boosted. Uh, Mark and Oxnard wondering uh, whether it's possible to know at this point whether long COVID um, is is the same in severity with Omicron or the BA2 subvariant, or is it too early to tell about long COVID from those cases? I haven't heard and I haven't seen any data or heard any differences with long COVID from BA2 compared to the original Omicron strain. Um, so I, I, I just don't, don't know. But we do know that long COVID may occur after symptomatic infection, and it can even occur after asymptomatic infection. And that's one of the concerns that I've heard from a lot of parents. It, it, does it seem sensitive, though, to the amount of viral load that those with higher viral loads have a greater chance of long COVID symptoms? You know, generally, the higher viral loads correlate with severity of disease, and I just I haven't seen any data that, that okay. correlates severity of disease with um, risk of getting long COVID or more severe long COVID. Yet another confounding element of this thing. Right. It seems to be more idiosyncratic that when it, it occurs in some people and, and not others. So it may be related to genetics, the immune system, the timing or or other co-infections that may occur at the same time. Dr. Blumberg, great to have you with us again. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. Thanks. You too, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com at kpecc.org or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.